it's my pleasure to welcome you today to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to be empowered with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. And as we close in on the last couple of weeks till Christmas, I want you to know that Clark Deals and our Clark Deals team working around the clock to bring you the latest, greatest bargains for your Christmas shopping. And we also have the Clark Deals daily newsletter to help you out. Coming up in just a few minutes, the credit bureaus just can't get their act together. I'm going to share with you in the Clark Rage story about a woman who was declared dead, even though she's very much alive, and five years on still can't get it cleared up. I mean, that's shocking, right? And coming up yet later, during the Christmas season, it's always a conundrum who you tip and how much. For people who have served you throughout a year or off and on throughout a year, I'm going to try to demystify that if I can because it's a tough area information on the economy that you can trust advice from clark that you can use today this is a special session of clarkonomics being an economist is an impossible job predicting where things are going economists are really good at telling you what happened in the past but as soon as they think they figured something out they get surprised because there are so many moving parts to a gigantic economy like ours in the United States. And economists have seen a number of signs of late that indicated that we were headed towards a recession. And I have seen in a number of sectors of the economy some slowdown going on. A number of states are reporting declining tax receipts. But There are also signals, like last week's jobs report, that shows that hiring is still very strong, and unemployment rates are extremely low. And so the job market remains your friend in a time where you never know when the economy turns. In fact, we're going to close out the year with an entire decade without even a mild recession and that may not have ever happened in the history of the united states since reliable statistics or somewhat reliable statistics started being kept in the 1800s that we would go through an entire decade without a recession and this is an enormous event for us but at the same time the traumatic circumstances of the Great Recession following the banking scandals, the Great Recession was so deep and so many people's lives were just torn apart. We had the massive number of foreclosures, very high unemployment. We had a lot of just uh, you know people who would save money for their future, sell the values of their holdings in the stock market, just fall apart. So Americans remain very nervous about where we are and what's coming. So I can tell you that people still remain very fearful that all the good news is going to end and that things are going to be ugly 
like they were last decade. And there's an expression they talk about in the military about people fighting the last war, that people react based on what they most recently experienced. They expect that's what's going to happen again. So I want to tell you that recessions are a normal part of how economic cycles behave. And at some point, whether it's in 2020, 2021, who knows when, we will have a recession. But a recession doesn't mean anything like what we had starting in 07. And that ended statistically, I know it's crazy that it ended statistically in 09, but really it carried forward till really 2012. And so the reality is that what we will have now will be different than what caused so much hardship on people starting uh, mid to late last decade. So don't worry, be happy, but be smart. One thing that does have me very concerned today is we're having a lot of defaults on debt by consumers in a time where the economy is strong. And so what does that mean when the economy is not strong if we're having high defaults right now? And so being prudent, being wise with how you handle money is really, really core and key. That you, in fact, not because things are better now, borrow yourself into oblivion, but that instead that you're careful with what you owe others and not just what the monthly payment will be or what where you compute per week, but the total amount of debt you're taking on. And as I've stressed before, I want to emphasize again, do not take out these long vehicle loans. You want to set yourself up for financial hardship, take out a long-term vehicle loan. And if you want to protect yourself buying a vehicle, never, 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 not ever take out a vehicle loan longer than 42 months. I know that may sound freaky weird to you if you've taken out an 84-month loan, but trust me on this, the longer a vehicle loan you take out, the more potential for financial harm you'll have visiting yourself, your life, your family. You want to keep those loan terms short. The reason people take out the long-term loans is the payments per month get to be exorbitant. The real answer then is that you need to buy a less expensive vehicle, maybe not what you want to hear. Claudia is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Claudia. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Great. Thank you. Claudia, you have a son who's taking on quite a commitment. Yes, he is. Yes, and we're very proud of him. What's he up to? I'm sorry? What's he up to? What's he doing? Oh, he is He is in the Army. He just entered the Army in March. Um he decided that college was not for him, and he's been talking about going into um, the Army for a long time. Um, so he decided that he was finally going to do it, and he is doing amazing. Well, if you would express to your son my gratitude to him 
for what he's doing in an all-volunteer military, uh, putting his life on the line for your and my freedom. Yes. Well, how can I be of service? Because he's the one being of service to all of us, right? <laughs> right. So um, we were trying to think of a, a good way to save money for him because he didn't go to college. Um, we wanted to put money aside for him um, and surprise him when he gets out um, just so he has some sort of savings. And we just didn't know what the best way was to go about that. All right, so I'm going to I'm going to turn this upside down and backwards, okay? <laughs> okay. So what I would want you to do instead is not make it a surprise. And while he's in the military, that he participate in the thrift savings plan, the TSP, mm-hmm. which is the best retirement plan any of us have available to us. And now there's a Roth version of the TSP which is an enlisted person, is what he should be absolutely participating in. Okay. And what I would like you to do is money you would like to surprise him with later, I'd mm-hmm. like you instead to get him to put the amount of money that you can give him into his TSP each year. Okay. So you can put large sums into the thrift savings plan, and what that does, doing the Roth thrift savings plan is it gives him money that will grow tax-free all through the years. How old's your son? Uh, he's 20. So it will grow tax-free in the next 40 years and then be spent tax-free. And having money put aside age 20, 21, 22, 23 becomes massive money 40 years down the road. Okay. I, I do believe that he participates but he's not putting enough in that's where that's where you come in (laughs) that's where you come in so the the best place to load cash is either that or if you want to keep it uh gosh you can't keep it a complete surprise but the money you're intending to put aside if you funded um he'd have to be in the know about it because you can Mm -hmm. only put in so much each year a roth ira Okay. And that's where you have the big impact because you put in money that grows tax-free through the years and the tax code's all set up to make the real advantage being leaving the money alone and him being so young, the long-term growth of the money uh, being in there from age 20 forward, it, I can't even emphasize enough how much difference it makes. There's something I talked about recently the difference between putting money in at age 22 and putting money in at age 32 mm-hmm. and what happens with a dollar put in at 22, your son's in that that wheelhouse where putting it in at 20, 21, 22 will change his long-term future and financial security. Okay. So All either right. way, the, T, the Roth TSP would be the best, providing the funds to him, subsidizing his life so he can divert much more of his army paycheck into the tsp will have the greatest long-term impact all right so uh, this is so great that he has chosen for his life to serve our nation and you know the other thing is claudia when he uh is done with the service he'll have educational benefits he can take advantage of so he can do it in reverse order he can serve our nation and then our nation can serve him 
by subsidizing him getting an education. Richard's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Richard. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Certainly, Richard. How can I serve you? Well, the uh, topic came up recently when I was, uh, my wife brought it up, actually, just wondering if we had mortgage insurance, this, if uh, in the event that I would kick, that the house would be paid off. And I said, well, I thought so, but I would check. And then I checked and we didn't have it. Mortgage insurance and, is something that I don't like for people to have. Okay. Because the banks rip you off. They charge roughly 10 times the premium that it costs for real life insurance. And the funny thing is the beneficiary of it is the bank. You know, they pay off your mortgage, mm-hmm. but they're doing it just to protect themselves. They <clears throat> pretend it's for you, but it's really for them. All right. Yeah, I know. I, I looked at it. It was pretty expensive. And I, well, we've only got seven years left to pay, and the house is worth a lot more than what's left of the loan. So, so I would not say that's a priority. And mm-hmm. are, are you still working? Just uh, part-time. All right. Um, do Semi-retired. You, did that, oh, you are retired. All right. Mm-hmm. So what will your wife live on if you die before her? Uh, Social Security and uh, our 401k. So no pension she would inherit or anything like that. Right. So if you're in good health, it may be a good idea to have some insurance, uh, life insurance, so that she will have some money in the event uh, you do pass away. Well, we do have a life insurance policy, and okay. a larger one on me, so it's good for another couple of years before then, they then you've already really done, jack up the price. You've already done the right thing. Okay. You've already done the right thing. And um, your mortgage carries an interest rate of what? It's about 3.37%. Okay, so it's a very favorable rate. You have massive equity in the home. Don't be tempted to buy the mortgage life insurance. Very good. Sounds like you got everything in a good, healthy position. All right. I appreciate that. Have a great day. Today's Clark Rageous Moment is about you having the unique privilege of meeting Dorothy Bennett, who is legally dead, even though she's not. Four years ago, clerical error declared her dead. She's fully alive. She pays her bills every month, pays her mortgage, but she has not been able over four years, according to Fox 17 in West Michigan, to be able, western part of Michigan, has not been able to get the credit bureaus to acknowledge she's alive. And it may sound silly, but there's time after time this has real-world consequences. She can't get a loan to buy anything. She couldn't refinance her mortgage. And no matter how often she tried with Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian, she could not get them to correct their records and fix this, that she's dead. The TV station contacted the three credit bureaus, and their response, we'll get back to you. Who knows if they ever will. If you wanted any proof that the credit reporting system in the United States is broken and that Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian still are contemptuous of you and me who they don't consider to be their customers, 
And to them, playing horseshoes is close enough. It doesn't matter how accurate they are. It shows such a lack of concern and lack of humanity that the credit bureaus in four years' time have not been able to straighten out their records and show that very much alive Dorothy Bennett is a living, breathing human being who pays her bills, lives her life, and wants to just be declared what she is, alive. So this is ridiculous that Equifax TransUnion Experian, in spite of all the horrible publicity about Equifax's data breach, that they still don't have it together and still can't even do something as simple as bring somebody back from the dead. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. ClarkDeals.com is where we got all the bargains for you for the rest of the Christmas shopping season and beyond. Right now we're updating, working multiple shifts, updating around the clock to hit you with all the latest deals. Clark.com is our main website with all our daily consumer information, including this topic that is so confusing, is who do you tip and what to tip at Christmas time. Now, there are a lot of traditional categories where people do tip, and then many others that are very, very confusing. Some depend on lifestyle. Like some of the things that I see on tipping guides that just don't apply to most people, it's the doorman at your building. (laughs) I asked, we have a staff meeting each day as we plan our show and our web team and uh, our video team and our off-air team, we're all together talking. And I asked, uh, who has a doorman? And people started laughing. Nobody has a doorman. But if you have one, that's someone who you tip at the end of the year normally in most fancy buildings. But there are so many different areas like the person who delivers your newspaper, if you still get an actual physical newspaper like I do, what would be a customary amount to tip? Or the people who pick up your trash, nobody thinks about them. I mean, that's a tough, nasty job. But that would be someone you would tip. What about the letter carrier who delivers your mail all through the year? Or if you have one particular UPS driver or FedEx driver, do you tip them and how much? Well, UPS drivers are allowed to accept a very small amount of money. Uh, Letter carriers are not allowed to accept cash. They're not allowed to accept cash equivalents would be like a gift card, but you can give them something that costs you no more than 20 bucks. So you can buy them, uh, you know, a bottle of wine or something like that. And FedEx employees can receive a gift up to $75. It's a lot more generous, huh? But what about teachers? If you have a kid in school, you know, my son's school, we have a collection at Christmas time for teachers, not to an individual teacher, but collected in mass. And at my son's school, they tell us this is the range people usually give in. You can give nothing or you can give more. 
this is the range people give. So I've got all kinds of categories and giving and a recommended range since this is such a confusing area. And we have it at Clark.com, including who you would normally not give a tip to. Doctors and lawyers. <laughs> oh, that's going to make doctors and lawyers unhappy, but you're not considered to be in the tipping category. Sorry. I, uh, I have discovered I fly a lot. I fly probably uh, 30 weeks over the course of a year. I'm in the air somewhere. And I have witnessed something in increasing numbers that never would have occurred to me, and that's people tipping flight attendants on a flight. And that's just not something that I would ever think of. And one airline, I'm trying to remember, we talked about them before, I think it's Frontier, allows you to tip flight attendants or encourages people to tip flight attendants. And, uh, oh, producer Kim is like looking at me like really funny, but I was right, wasn't I? It's Frontier. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It sounded so foreign again, but no, you've talked about this before. It is odd. Yeah, so I'm sure that uh, some flight attendants would be like, yeah, here's some money. And others would be like, nope, I'm not in a profession where people tip. You keep that money. Zach is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Zach. Yes, sir. How are you doing? How are you, Mr. I'm great. And yourself? Big Wonderful. Fan. Thank you. Well, I understand you've had a good year this year. Yes. Yeah. So, um, Clark, uh, I recently started a new job about 14 months ago. Um, it was a uh, different uh, industry, and I kind of jumped in with both feet. Um, I knew a little bit about what I would make, but wasn't sure on the full uh, scope of things. And it's been a good year. So, um my question is on the Roth IRA. I, I've, I've kind of taken what you've uh, given me and I've, I've kind of jumped in with both feet and I went ahead and put the $6,000 lump sum into my Roth IRA. But the issue is I may have overstepped that because I my adjusted gross income may be over the contribution limit and I'm worried about the tax implications. Yeah, that is a problem. And what normally happens in a case where you contribute to the Roth in the same year that you're earning the income is you're going to have to reverse that Roth. And normally what you would do is you would put it instead into a non-deductible IRA, which is a weirdo creature very few people know exists because they know about you know a traditional IRA, they know about Roth IRAs, but almost no one's ever heard of a non-deductible IRA. So if you end up in a year where you've had um, a good problem, you earn more than what you were permitted to put into, you know, that prevents you from putting money in a Roth, contact the company and tell them that you've out-earned the Roth limits and you need to have that money moved into a non-deductible IRA. Non-deductible, Okay. And so right, what so that not- means is that you don't get a deduction on your taxes like you would with a traditional IRA. You don't get tax-free growth like you would in a Roth. But wait, there's more. Do you have any money sitting in a traditional IRA? Yes. How large a pile do you have in a traditional? 
a small pile. All right. So what you are allowed to do is you can convert that to a Roth, regardless of your income, and pay tax on converting it to a Roth. Since you've had a really good money year, you should be able to cover Uh that tax. Okay. And then you're allowed to virtually immediately take the non-deductible IRA and convert it into a Roth. It's one of the weirdest things about tax law that here you're not allowed to contribute to a Roth, but if you do what's referred to in the lingo of the trade, a backdoor Roth, you can you can contribute each year to the non-deductible and then almost immediately convert that to a Roth and you get around the income limits. Okay. But um, you does it must... Have to be done be, does it have to be done before the tax... The year or the tax year? No, it doesn't have to be. You can do it whenever. So the important thing, though, is that any money in a traditional IRA, you've got to go ahead and do the hard work of converting it to a Roth, the hard work being you have to pay tax on all the money in it. But you do that, then each year that you are this uh, earning this great money, you can, t- you can put money, the 6000 into the non-deductible, and then almost immediately or at your leisure, convert it into Roth money. Did awesome. I, did I just so much. Did I just confuse you completely or you got it? Um, a little bit, but uh, you know what? Uh, I'll figure it out. Okay. You could go on investopedia.com and okay. uh, research Backdoor Roth and they'll explain the process to you. Or you could just Google okay. Backdoor Roth and it'll explain okay. to you the process. It sounds confusing, but once you know what the two steps are you have to do, you're good, and you won't have to worry about the income limits anymore. Okay. But the Thank best, you so news, much. best news of all, Zach, you made all that money you weren't expecting to make. <laughs> That's right. Yes, sir. That's really good stuff, and I wish you continued success in that job in 2020. Christy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Christy. Hi, Clark. Christy, you're a very generous soul, aren't you? Um, well, I'm a grandma. <laughs> okay. Um, my, you sound my awfully young to be a grandma. I, well, I, I am. My, uh, my granddaughters are young, though. They're four and one. Okay. So, um, and they have stuff, and they have a lot of stuff, and it's holiday season, and I just didn't want to get them more stuff. I was hoping, um, and I want to save for them. I'm just not sure about a 529, or um, I heard you talking about a custodial plan, and I just didn't know what would be the best way to go. So if the culture in your family is that kids go to college, the 529 is the best idea. What are the odds? What are the odds these two grandkids are going to college based on historically what people have done in your family? So my family, I'm the only college graduate uh, from my extended family. Actually, I have a cousin also. And then I have four sons. Um, Two of them have gone to college, but neither one have graduated. So they've both gone you know, done like freshman year, sophomore year, and both stopped, both dropped out. My third son is starting college just now, and the young one has a, a really great goal, you know, and a plan, and he's he's good. I think he'll make it, but it's not a great, um, you know. Uh, 
It's not like an automatic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's really not. So I'm not sure. And the reason I always ask that question, is there are families where it's just understood by a kid that that's what they're going to do, and other families where kids are more free to follow whatever path they want, whether it's college or something else. So in your family, it sounds more like that. And so a yeah. 529 plan would not be the best idea because 529 money used for college is great because it all grows tax-free and it's spent tax-free. But if a kid doesn't go to college, the tax treatment is really ugly. Yeah. So for your grandkids, since that's a real question mark, it would make more sense to do a custodial account. And is that something I would do through like Vanguard or Fidelity? Probably Fidelity because Fidelity... The advantage with Fidelity is there's no investment minimums. Okay. Unless you're planning to put in like a thousand or more dollars for each of the grandkids, Vanguard's really out of the picture. Great. Um, okay. But with Fidelity, there's no minimum, and they have the Fidelity Zero funds that, of course, are commission free, but in addition, you pay no management fees on them. So every dollar invested is a full dollar, you know, no money taken out for managing the fund. And I'm going to specifically look for custodial accounts? Yeah. Oh, and, okay. and they deal with this every day. I mean, if you go into a Fidelity, do you have a Fidelity office near you? Um, you know, I don't know. I, I always do things online, so I haven't, <laughs> I haven't looked for one local. Oh, well, you can go to Fidelity.com and search term custodial accounts, and okay. they'll walk you through. But um, the kids are four and one. Yes. If they were older, if let's say they were school age kids, I like for the kids to go in with a grandparent and okay. be there when the accounts open. But at four and one, that would just go right over their heads, obviously. Yeah, and it'd probably be uh, kind of crazy. Yeah. My, I have another question though because I also have a niece. I have one, and she's one, and I had thought to do the same sort of thing for her. Absolutely. Um, you can do you can do the identical thing. You could with Fidelity you could open three custodial accounts. Okay. And it would just go in her name. Right. Well, it's in okay. your name for the benefit of her. Of her. Okay. So you are her custodian. Now the bad Great. part of custodial accounts is that the kids get access to the money, depending on the state, usually at eighteen or twenty one. And a yeah. lot of times an 18 or 21-year-old is not very <laughs> mature to handle money. So do what most people do. Have the statements always go to your address and don't tell the kids the money exists. Nope. Let them find out that. at a later point in their lives when you think they're ready to handle the money. Sounds good. All right. Well, have a great day. And you're a very generous grandmom and aunt. Thank you, Clark. I appreciate Thanks. it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget. 
giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time for Clark.com slash ask. That's where you go to Clark.com, you post a question for me, and there are multiple ways those questions are answered, including there's a box there. If you check it, you'll then be on the show with me or... We will make sure you get an answer to your question from Team Clark, or in this case, Joel asks your question for you. Joel, what you got? Clark got a question from Justin. He says, Clark, I've grown up with every company I've worked for offering PTO. I don't understand your disdain for it, though. What is the difference between PTO and vacation time? It seems like the same thing except with more flexibility. What am I missing? You're not missing anything. So... Uh, companies went to PTO in their mind is a more honest way to give you time off that's paid, paid time off, versus the system that had been so common in the United States for people who receive vacation benefits, which of course a lot of people don't receive vacation benefits at a place of work, where you had vacation time and you had sick time. So I like for people to receive time specifically geared towards illness because what happens otherwise is people start to look at PTO as just for vacation and don't think of it in terms of what if you get sick. So then what do people do? Presenteeism. They come to work when they are sick and that can be dangerous to their health but more important to other people's health. So that's really what it's about. All right, Armand says, thank you, Clark and team, for making us all so much wiser. He says, I want to buy a new used car within the next year or two, and I was curious to see if you had any new tips or strategies on how to go about this process as efficiently as possible. Yeah, so I have a multi-step process, and I've got a briefing on Clark.com that takes you through the steps. Most important thing is to start with figuring out what vehicles are the most reliable in the category of vehicle you want. My oldest brother was buying a used SUV recently, and he and his wife went through the Consumer Reports listings of reliable vehicles, and then they went and drove different ones of the makes that were the most reliable, ended up settling on one of those. It was a Kia, and then they bought that, and so... They started with making sure they were buying one that historically was reliable. You then find one, you have it checked out by a mechanic, and then you buy the thing. And online, there are so many sources where you can find out what is fair value for a used vehicle you're thinking of buying. All right, Kathy says, I want to close my credit card because of the annual fee. I know I shouldn't, but how do I avoid it? No, no, no. It's not a shouldn't. What you do instead, call them... See if there's a no annual fee card they can replace it with. If there's not, apply for another card with no annual fee. Get it before you close the card that has an annual fee. You'll be fine. You just want to make sure you keep the same level of credit available. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. 
Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.